back to another spooky episode of Tales from the Cartridge, the video game story podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Penrod. And I am your other co-host, Ryan Bauer. Oh, jeez. It's <laughs> pretty spooky. Pretty spooky, huh? It was really spooky, yeah. <laughs> Ryan, how are you? And what have you been playing? I am doing good. It's been a series of busy weeks, but I am doing great. Enjoying the beautiful fall weather, enjoying the beautiful fall times, enjoying all the spooky skeletons and zombies that are living in the neighborhood. I haven't been playing a lot this week. Played a bit of Among Us with you and some friends. That was really, really fun. Mm-hmm. That was good. Playing some Hades. My partner beat the last time we had to do the thing, and then we got things, and we kind of finished the story part of that, which is really exciting. Cool. Yeah, that's very exciting. I played half an hour of Baldur's Gate 3. I'm really excited to jump more into that. I just like did the character creation and then and then that was it. That's, that's all I've been playing. And of course, Animal Crossing. Getting that candy. Getting that good, good candy. Um, How are you? What are you been playing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, like you said, busy week. I start my new job tomorrow, so I'm like freaking out. <laughs> but it won't be bad. It's, I'm just bad with change. <laughs> But other than that, everything's pretty uh, pretty good. And uh, as for games, I'm the same with you. I had a busy week, so I didn't play a whole lot, but the usual. Mostly just Animal Crossing. I got the jack-o'-lantern like, lamps, so I was switching those babies out with the street lamps in my town. And it's so spooky and great. And then I also posted on Instagram how I broke down, and I was playing Mario 64, and I kept dying. I was like, well, I don't have to get all the stars to play Mario <laughs> Sunshine. <laughs> so I switched over to that, and it was fantastic. It was... Just reliving my childhood all over again, washing paint away. It was fantastic. I love that game. I don't understand why people don't like that game. It, just, it, it blows my mind. I just think it's such a fun game. It's so different than a Mario game, typically, as I would say. But I just it's so good, I think. I, I don't know. I, I guess it's just me. I guess I'm just weird. Like my mom always said. Just kidding, Mom. She listens to this. Oh, no. She's going to hear that. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry. And as always, we are continuing our month of spooktacular games. We would love to get your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives at TalesFromTheCartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. DM us. Let us know what you think. We got one today. I was super excited, and it turned out to be just a, a bot. So that was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> but the robots are listening, and we, that's still important. So robots, if you're out there listening, thanks for sending in your perspective. Yes, and if we've learned anything from Soma, it's <laughs> yeah, that robots are really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not terrifying in any way, shape, or <laughs> Right. <laughs> So today, Ryan, you uh, have brought us the game that we're covering today. What game is that? Red Dead Undead Nightmare, a DLC, standalone DLC for Red Dead Redemption, one of the bestest games ever to come out. And this is one of the bestest DLCs ever to come out. So I'm really excited. It's a really fun, super campy horror adventure. And I think you have some background info on it for us. Yes, I do. So, Red Dead Undead Nightmare was released on October 26th, 2010, which is crazy that it was 10 years ago. Holy crap. Jeez, 30s around the corner for us. <laughs> sure is. And it's crazy. Uh, developed by Rockstar San Diego and published by Rockstar Games, of course. The writers are Dan Hauser, Michael Unsworth, and Christian Cantamessa. I, I can't mess that one up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, didn't no, I literally wonderful. did not plan that. that well, Christian, if you heard that, I apologize. Good last name, though. <laughs> so the, for the influence of the game, the team at Rockstar San Diego wanted to make a zombie game and thought that Red Dead would be perfect for a setting of a, a zombie game. 
because the game they felt the game itself didn't take itself too seriously that it was a serious base game as a serious story but had like fun elements to it so they thought maybe a standalone zombie game as a dlc would be a good fit the team wanted to kind of explore what a zombie outbreak would look like in a very similar world to ours very like realistic world and they thought red dead would be perfect and i know what you're thinking already storygoers like why not grant the dotto that makes way more sense it's more in our you know present time then than what it was in red dead redemption but the former rock star vice president of creation dan hauser described several reasons why they didn't want to pick grand theft auto as the setting for a zombie dlc he said that red dead's shooting mechanics were better because you can do the slow-mo dead eye feature and so it's better for shooting zombie heads that zombies were just kind of a better fit for like the great plains landscape it, it kind of resembled the like 1970s horror films and it was kind of just a better setting than in like a a major city and that john's character was a better fit at hunting zombies down than the protagonists of grand theft auto games because i think that those protagonists in grand theft auto were very like in three that john's character was just a better fit for hunting zombies because the protagonists of grand theft auto are kind of of more like self-centered and and john was more of an altruistic outgoing as as rough and tumble as he is he would do the right thing for the right person but yeah so that's the kind of the influences for the game but uh ryan what are some of your memories of red dead redemption a dead nightmare yeah so this is i think one of the few games we've covered similar to the ones we talked about at the kind of the beginning of our podcast adventure that like i remember playing the entire experience of and although I've lost a lot of what happened over the years, looking back at the script, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this scene. Oh, yeah, I remember this character. And I love Red Dead. The game is just so fun. And I have such fun memories of playing it. A single-player experience. But then I think, like we talked about, that multiplayer experience where you and I would just, like, ride around in carriages and, and harass people and take over forts. So this, I, I remember this being just a really fun, kind of silly, just welcome return to the world of Red Dead. And going back and looking at the script, it, it, it's as magical as I remember. What about I, you? Really, what you? I remember enjoying the DLC a lot when it first came out. And I think I've ever played it like one time through. I think I played it and I was like just kind of one and done because afterwards we just did the online mode like we kept talking about and that was kind of it. But going through again, like reading your script and then kind of watching the, the walkthrough, I was getting a lot of those memories back from, from the DLC and how great it was. Just how the comedy was just so, it was so different than the base game, but kind of similar in the same sense. Like it wasn't so prevalent in the base game, I think. From the DLC, they really kind of brought that comedy level up, paired it really well with the horror aspect. I remember just really enjoying it. Like it wasn't too insanely scary, but it wasn't like too like over the top comedy. And I think they matched it so well. I just remember really enjoying the humor a lot. And I remember I was talking about it, just laughing like crazy when we were playing it. So but yeah, I have good memories, really good memories of it. And I'm actually super excited to cover this. Yeah, I hope you enjoy it. If you're Let's ready, do it. We'll and just for in. the context story goers, there are scenes with multiple characters, and it would be hard for one of us to just read the lines and have it all make sense. So Ryan and I are gonna share a dialogue. Yeah, we're going to have so many voices. We're going to pull on Eric's incredible voice vault and inject it into the Red Dead world. And it's going to be. I'm sure you guys are just so happy after last week's episode of (laughs) All My Silly Voices. But here we go again. (laughs) That's the best. That's the best. No reprieve. I do also want to say this is canonically outside of the Red Dead canon. So things that happen in this game do not line up with Red Dead, Red Dead 2, any of those experiences. And we're not going to spoil anything of either of those games other than like the really basic information that you get right at the start of Red Dead and at the start of this DLC. So have no fear if you haven't played those games and and don't want those spoiled. It, It shouldn't happen yet. On a dark and stormy night, a wagon pulled by horses and a lone driver ride down the road towards Beecher's Hope. After months away, John Marston returned to his loved ones while trying to rebuild his ranch and win back the trust of his family. 
Marston awaits whatever life can throw at him. As he drives home one evening from an errand, he ponders whether a man can really ever escape his past. He's a man who's ready for anything. Almost anything. <laughs> John quickly moves his horses into the stable. The torrential rain and dark skies and flashes of lightning spur him into the safety of his home. Inside, John's son Jack and wife Abigail sit. A roaring fire warms the living room of a sparsely decorated but sophisticated log cabin home. Abigail sits sewing while Jack sits on the nearby couch reading a book. Abigail stabs herself and goes, Ah, damn! Abigail raises her injured finger to her mouth. Mother. I'm sorry. I meant to say, damn this awful son I've raised in his highfalutin ways. And the shame that his mother swears like a sailor and sews like a blind man. Is that better, your lordship? Abigail feigns a bow. Much better. Mother dearest. Good, I am so glad. My darling, when you finished your university education and are far too good to even acknowledge my existence, when we pass on the street and you gently kick me aside, beg an old crone out of the way with your high-polished boots, will you think kindly of me at least? Will you, son? She smirked. I'll try to. I don't think that woman I just kicked, that used to be my dear old potty mouth mom, maybe I should bother to kick her harder. <laughs> dear boy, I am so proud of you. Jack puts his feet up on the couch as he reads. Get off now! Father's home. Maybe he can beat some sense into you. So I kind of wanted to stop here and just kind of talk about this is our this is the major characterization we get of these two characters. What do you think of this interaction? What, what comes to mind? I think that they just they have a very deep bond. That they can joke around like this, and they they seem like they have a, a strong bond together. It's not very like it's more of a buddy buddy friendship than a parental relationship, I guess. But I, I would imagine that Jack is very like he he cares about his mom. He he listens to his yeah. mom. I thought this was really interesting. And again, kind of like what you said, this isn't something, at least I can think of, a mother and son relationship that I've seen played out in games very much. Mm -hmm. John Marston enters his home, makes his way to the living room. Something funny's going on out there. Damn dogs have gone crazy and the wolves are howling and birds are flying. Well, it's just a storm, John. Maybe. Uncle make it back yet? John moved to the fireplace to warm his hands. I thought he was with you. Off drinking in the fields. I mean working, as you call it now. An unseen figure peers into the window from outside. No, he went to town a few hours ago after we busted a hammer working out in the meadow. Well, he's probably holed up in some place of ill repute waiting for the passing of the storm. I hope so. A bloody hand reaches and touches the window, those inside still aware of their visitor. Well, that old man can take care of himself. I know, just a funny feeling I got. You went psychic, Either that or I ate something funny. Knowing your mother's cooking seems more likely. Mmm, well, talking about food, who is ready for some poisoning? Me, my darling, I am starving. Abigail stands and walks out of the room towards the kitchen. The family all survived the meal. John and Jack return to the living room. Jack picks up a book and continues to read. What are you reading? Just some books about monsters. Tell me about it. It's kind of dumb. That should suit me just fine. Well, it's about in ancient times how Aztec warriors worshipped the sun. But during full moons, some of them worshipped the moon instead, and that upset the equilibrium of things. So anyway, what it involves is... There's this one guy, and he goes out in search of food for his family. John sits and listens to his son retell the story. He reflects on how proud he is of his son. John, a man of action and few words. A frontiersman who spent his youth riding and robbing the American West. Abigail re-enters the room, puts her hand on John's shoulder. His mind stops wandering as Jack finishes the story. And that leaves him all alone. So anyway, since there ain't no cure, the brave man has to kill everybody, which is... Absolutely disgusting and completely unbelievable. It's getting late. I guess we're not going to see Uncle till morning. Come on, Abigail. Jack, get yourself to bed, boy. Try to get some sleep. Ain't you worried about Uncle? Sure, but he'll have to wait till morning, just like any other man in his shoes. Night, son. Don't stay up too late reading. John and his wife head into the bedroom, leaving Jack to read. 
The full moon shines in the window as John and his wife sleep. They are abruptly awoken by the snarl in the opening of the bedroom door. John and Abigail leap out of bed as the creature makes his way in John's direction. An old man whose mouth is covered with blood and a large gash across his face stumbles in the room, groaning. You okay, old man? You don't look so good. The old man charges it and undresses John, snarling as he claws in John's direction. What the hell is wrong with you, you crazy old bastard? John holds him back as he grabs the lamp off the bedside table and strikes the old man in the head. He falls to the ground and lies still. John leaps over the body and makes his way out of the room. Where are you going? To get my gun! God damn it! John rushes out of the house, leaving the old man, Abigail, and Jack inside. He bursts through the shed door where he grabs his shotgun. He makes his way back towards the house. Abigail runs out the front door, the undead uncle snarling as he chases. She makes her way down the stairs but trips. Uncle leaps onto her body as John returns, gun in hand. Uncle, you dumb son of a bitch, stop! Uncle stands. Abigail, still moving on the ground. His unnatural howl fears the air as he charges. John steps back, lines up a shot, and fires. Uncle's head explodes and the body falls backwards on the ground. John rushes over to Abigail, still lying on the ground. I can't believe I had to kill that poor bastard. Uh, you okay, darling? You okay? Abigail! Abigail! Abigail lays sobbing on the ground, holding her bleeding neck as a small pool of blood forms around her. I don't feel so great. Jack! Get out here now! Jack, still in Long John's, rushes over to his mother. Good lord, what happened, mama? Jack bends down to look at her. Worry fills him as he watches her writhe in pain. Before he can react, she lunges forward and bites Jack on the neck. Ow! Ow, mama! Jack replies as he falls backward, holding his ear. John circles the two of them, lying on the ground outside their house. Just stay right there. The pair of you. Don't make me know where we're now. He points to the two of them suspiciously. John runs back to the shed, this time to grab a rope. Jack and Abigail charge towards John, but he hogties the two of them and throws them over his shoulder. He takes them inside to his bedroom, drops Jack on the floor and Abigail on the bed. The two hogtied Marston snarl as they try to escape. John places a cooked steak on the plate next to each of them. I don't know what the hell has gotten into you sick crazy bastards or what uncle's done to you, but I'm going to get help. Stay calm, as calm as you can, seeing both of you seem to have gotten a little excited. Probably just a fever. Jack, be kind to your mother. Abigail, teach a boy right from wrong. Both of you. Stop biting chunks out of people. Be back as soon as I can. John quickly gets dressed. Guns on his back and hip exits his home. Leaving his family inside, he boards up the doors and windows. He makes his way to the stables where he's greeted by another shambling figure. This time, without a word or hesitation, John draws his gun and shoots off the head. He looks over the still body. Guess I best go find me a doctor in town. John finds his horse and heads to the nearby town of Blackwater. Eric, what do you think? John's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. It's, but it's so good. Like, he's such an idiot, but he's, it's such a good dialogue. You stay right there. You pair you. Don't make me know what or now. Leaving the stakes behind. It's so funny. Like, it, it's so good. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think what they're trying to get at is, like, John is a dingus. And also, he's never seen zombies before. But just, like, it feels like those bad 70s movies where everybody, nobody has any idea what's going on. And just John is the, is the dingus in this one. Right, yeah. And, like, I love that he has good intentions. Like, he's trying to keep them safe, even though they've turned into zombies. Like, so he's tying them, hot tying them and leaving them in there and putting stakes down. Like, it's just so funny. Like, like this is, like, the simple, like, the, like the most simplistic way of trying to handle your your zombie relatives and making sure that they're safe it's just so stupid like it's just but it's great it's great at the same time yeah yeah I, the writing i think for me is is the highlight in this whole thing uh the writers on this just it did such a great job and it just makes it so fun you can tell that they're big zombie horror fans like movie fans and, and it really shows in this so it's perfect uh, and i also think this is like pretty good motivation john's family's in danger that feels like relatable and understandable and like a good driver for whatever the narrative might be 
and now he's a purpose right he's the reason why he's leaving and going out and doing all this like obviously it's for his family that and it kind of sets it up well in the beginning that he's he's made it back to them he's trying to prove his worth to them so you know this is kind of like that redemption tale in a, in a sense john ryden is in the nearby town of blackwater the largest settlement in the area when he dismounts he finds the town desert familiar voice shouts out john's name the voice of harold mcdougall mr boston sir boston it's me professor what are you doing here i thought you went back to yale I did, but I came back for another round of research. <laughs> and now, all hell has quite literally broken loose. What is going on? Well, sir, I'm a man of science. I'm a man of great learning. A thinker. A wise man. And I'll be honest with you, sir, I have no fucking clue. Well, ain't that dandy. What shall we do? Well, I suggest we try to find other survivors, band together, and find a cure. Fight to the death trying. Well, that sounds great and all. Just peachy. But I'm not sure that I'm not cut out for such shenanigans. I'm, I was thinking more that of finding a horse and riding back to civilized north at the speed of knots before writing a paper on the events of the comfort of my study. I'm a scientist after all, right? I mean, I can't do much science if I'm some bloodshot dervish's lunch, can I? Much as I would like. Your sense of duty is very impressive. I'm gonna go wander down that lonely, deserted street and get my bag. You should stay with me, Professor. You haven't got a gun. That's okay. There's no need to worry. Everybody's already dead. I've left my stuff with Mr. Nastas. You remember him, Indian fellow. Dumb as bricks, but a good sort. Okay, well, meet me in a couple minutes. Affirmative. A couple of minutes. Harold makes his way down the lonely, deserted street, and Mr. Nastas... Mr. Nastas? Is that what he said? Nastas? Yeah. Harold makes... Harold makes his way down the lonely, deserted street when Mr. Nastas comes out of the alleyway and tackles Harold to the ground. Harold screams and tries to break free, but Mr. Nastas easily ends him. John fires on Mr. Nastas, and again at Harold when he rises. John makes his way deeper into Blackwater to find more survivors. As he's passing a local store, he hears the crying of a woman coming from the back. John carefully approaches, calling out. In here, mister! Come out! It's okay! Come out! I don't bite! Bad joke. I mean, come out! You got my family, mister! And mine, I fear. I saw my mama rip my daddy's face off and drink his blood. <laughs> and they was happily married 20 years. I'm sorry. And we were so glad to see my mama because she's been dead for three years from smallpox. John steps inside the room to see the woman hiding behind the counter. Your mama was dead? And I saw her. She walked up into the porch and then boom, she ate my daddy. He weren't, he, he weren't a, ba- a bad man, mister. He weren't. Sure, he liked to drink, but he, he weren't a bad I, and sure, he liked the company of women, but he weren't bad, mister, he were No one deserved to have their blood drunk. I mean, he knew how to use his fist. And if a woman ever spoke out of her place, he reminded her of everything. And when my mama was dying, people said he was lying with her sister. But that weren't true, mister, or was it? She grabs onto John's arm as she speaks. But you said your mama was dead. Her, Mr. Braithwaite, he's been dead a year. And then yesterday he walked up on the street eating dogs and he loves animals. All the dead folk have come back to life, mister, and only they ain't happy. Funny kind of salvation. All the dead folk? All the dead folk buried at the cemetery over by the churchyard. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to go take a look. You wanna come? The woman recoils at the thought before replying. No, no, I've already seen my mama. I don't need to see any more of my relatives. Here, mister, take this. If you can burn them, maybe you can put their souls to rest. him a torch, and John starts to walk out of the room. Before he can leave, she starts yelling. And mister, if you see my Uncle Mordecai, you burn him. Burn him real good, you hear? John makes his way to the graveyard. Distant thunder echoes through the empty city. As he searches the graveyard, bodies break through the soil, pull themselves out of the grave. As soon as they rise, they charge. 
gunfights through them, burying the bodies in any unburied coffins. As the last creature falls, a large crash can be heard. Out from a grave emerges a figure. The tombstone reads, Mordecai Robert, exuberant family man, sorely missed, 1861 to 1908. As the figure emerges, it utters, Ain't you a sweet little lady? But before the creature can fully stand, John fires, the graveyard clear, and the town safer. John heads back to Blackwater to find more answers. As he makes his way into town, he hears shots ring out from the rooftops of the town. While heading that way, he hears the wail of a woman. He makes his way to the nearby rooftop, where he finds a family on the roof. A man paces, while young girls comfort each other. The mother glares down at John as he approaches. You okay, folks? <clears throat> John calls out to the people on the rooftop. Just fantastic. I saw my daughter get eaten by some creature sent straight from hell. Thanks for asking. Um, kinda sorry I did. The man stands up and points down at John. Sorry, mister. Forgive my wife. We've suffered terribly. What's going on? It's the government's fault? Ain't it always. Well, they let in too many foreigners? Just shut the goddamn border? Or things like this happen? My daughter was just some satanic demon's lunch because the goddamn government. And I pay my taxes. Usually. I think we might be moving a little off topic here. I ain't a wise man, but I've done a little bit of traveling. These creatures ain't like any foreigners I've ever seen. Thanks for the input, cowpoke. I just got flesh-eating monsters feasting on my family, and I'm taking advice from tolerance from a gunslinger. What in the world has my life come to? And my daddy told me I never should have gotten married. Doreen stands up and walks over to her husband. This is all your fault, you useless man. Not now, Doreen. Not this again. Your daddy was a bully and a drunk. Well, you ain't no kind man. The young girls let out a wail as their parents continue to fight. Listen, I'm sorry to interrupt your happy reminiscence. Is there anything I can do to help? Got any idea how we can survive? Well, you could try shooting them creatures, you dumb fool. Ma'am, it's been a real pleasure. Sir, you are a man of great patience. John continues to walk in the direction of the gunshots, leaving the arguing family on the roof. He finds a group of town folks who held up at the bank and are firing a small horde of creatures making their way to town. John lends his gun and helps clear the current wave, gathers supplies before meeting another group of survivors. A group of five survivors stands around a barrel. Two men, three women. As John approaches, one of them draws his weapon and points it to John. Hey, you are them, mister? Do I look like one of them? Don't come closer. We made that mistake before and lost half our nuts. I ain't one of them, you fool. Well, how do I know? They can't speak. I ain't taking no chances. One of the women standing around the fire calls out, Kill him! He's one of them! No, I ain't. Another man grabs the woman by the shoulder and pulls her back. Don't take no chances, Silas. Have it your way. All right, listen. I ain't coming no closer. You know what's going on? It's the glass eye. The freak with the glass eye, he caused this. No, it's a snake oilman. Those poor folks have been drugged. I blame the Mexicans. They haven't been struck down. Silas, his gun pointing at John, responds. Well, we've heard a lot of stories, mister. Some say it's the moon. Some say it's drugs. Hey, don't come closer now. Stand back. Apparently, it's worse in New Austin. Must have been where it came from. Then, it looks like I'm headed down to New Austin. Did one of you say snake oil? It's the glass eye. The woman shouts. I blame the Mexicans. The other woman responds. Connie McTavish, you don't know nothing. You always were an arrogant shrew. I bet your husband's glad he's dead. Connie recoils from the insult for sitting for it. Well, at least my husband never took favors from the stargazers, Lucy Billingsgate. You say you're sorry, you hillbilly white trash. Hey, how are we going to rebuild America like this? See, I thought we all had it decided. We were going to be kind and gentle and pay homage to our leader, who happens to be me. Sounds like you folks got this all worked out. Have yourselves a fine America and good luck. John walks away, leaving the group to argue. We hadn't had that decided. We decided we'd hold elections and I would be leader. You can't even read. I got gravity. I mean, gravy. I mean, folks respect me. I am the new king, Archibald Andrews. Now pay me homage. Among their arguing, the group doesn't see the approaching creature. It leaps on Lucille. She screams in horror as the group scatters. The man with the gun raises it to fire, but then flees, leaving Lucille to her fate. John leaves Blackwater and heads to New Austin in search of some answers. 
Eric, what are your feelings on the people of Blackwater? <laughs> well, first off, I want to say that, that all of us from Tales of the Cardroids are, are uh, diverse, loving people. We are not in any way, shape, or form supporting racist views. This is only part of the story because it's, again, I think in the 1900s. And that was, unfortunately, the viewpoint of uh, many uh, folk. But besides that, from a story perspective, I think it's so funny. Again, it's just really funny. It's just John, like, kind of, you know, scouring around trying to figure out what's going on. And all these people are just kind of, like, losing their minds in a sense. Like, everything's kind of gone to hell. But they're still, like, surprisingly, like, funny about it. Without, you know, it's, it's the, the humor's done so well where it's not, like, over the top. It's, like, kind of, like, um, very realistic humor, but in an unrealistic way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's this zombie apocalypse where people are being eaten alive. And these people are arguing about who they should or shouldn't have married. Or arguing about who's going to be the king after America falls. And just being, like, total goons. And I think what we're seeing is is what Rockstar was, when they were saying we're trying, we want to make a game that reflects what would happen in this world and i think it's not outside the bounds to think that a bunch of hooligans in the 1900s or 1800s would act this way and then i also think they make a very prominent point and i'll say this going forward anyone who has believes like this in the game they're almost immediately eaten and killed. <laughs> so just like that is rockstar's belief on what these people who are saying these things yeah. are it isn't just said, and then you're allowed to like sit with it. It's said, and then they're like immediate consequences usually to what is said, which is cool. I like that. That's that's a really cool way of like saying, hey, that's not that's not cool that you believe that, obviously. And then it's kind of a karmatic intervention, or you know, like it's this like kind of like funny way of like putting that ideas that I, those ideas down. You know, it's, it's it's done really well. The reason I had these four scenes in here is I think it captures here's what the world how the world is reacting to this. This is like a litmus test on how the world is reacting. Acting. Then going forward, John's going to meet other folks, but here's kind of how the regular folk are, are reacting. John arrives at Old Bacchus Place, the home of a man known as Seth. The gravedigger is strange enough to have an idea about what's going on. His white hat, missing teeth, and body covered with dirt of the graves. A clear sign he's found the right man. John finds him sitting at the barrel, playing cards with a recently animated corpse. Seth! Seth! You okay? What's going on? John approaches hesitantly as Seth casually looks down at the hand of cards. Oh! Hey there, John! Fancy a game of cards! No! Not right this minute. You remember Moses, John? Seth gestures to the undead figure, moaning quietly as they hold a hand of cards. Uh, he's, he's a... John draws his gun and aims at the undead Moses. Seth stands up, hands in the air, and puts himself between John and Moses. Oh, he's a darn sight more loyal now than he was before. Seth steps to the side and extends his hands, beckoning the creature towards him. Come on, boy. Come on. Come here, boy. Seth then moves to hug the creature. What are you doing? We were boyhood friends, John. Moses is having a tough time right now. Ain't you, pal? What is going on? We're playing cards! Relax! Sit down! I mean, with the undead walk in the face of the earth, you crazy dumb bastard! Ah, that ain't nothing! John steps forward. Ain't nothing? I seen husband eating wives, mothers eating sons, grace popping open, the undead rising up. It sure as shit is something! Oh, boo-hoo! Big, tough John Marston is scared of a little undead creature walking around. Moses wanted her to fly. What'd you darling? Seth strokes Moses' face. Besides, this ain't nothing new. Folks in Blackwater, blame it on that glass eye you found. Seth steps back towards Moses, covers his face with his hands. Folks, 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 damn them folks, John Marston, damn them. And damn you, get him, get him, Moses, get him. After all I've done for you, Seth, and I thought loyalty was important to you. Seth steps behind Moses and waves his hand in John's direction. You can't hurt me, Moses, get him, go. Yeah, get me, Moses. Looks like your dog lost his bite. Seth, now what in the hell is going on? The dead has risen, and a virulent plague is turning people into flesh-eating crazies. What the hell do you think's going on, genius? But why? 
But why, why, why? Why not? Why not? Why the hell not? Seth sits back down and picks up his cards. Because it ain't natural. Who made you Mother Nature and Mother Superior all at the same time? Who made you, John Mustard? Same as me. Same as made Moses. Is there a cure? These things tend to fade away now. But you want to get rid of it. You should go clear the graveyards. Either that or stop worrying and become one of them. Now, if you'll excuse me, we've got good times to remember. Happy times. Okay. See you soon, Seth. <laughs> Eric. Uh, what do you think of Seth? <laughs> I, like, I like Seth a lot. <laughs> I don't know why, but when I did his voice, I had to—I I kept raising my right hand. I had a fist, but my, my index finger was pointing out a little bit, and my thumb was on top of that, and I would just shake it rapidly. Doing his voice, <laughs> it really worked well. Um, all right, besides that, though, uh, Seth is really—he sounds like a really fun character. I love that he just— you always kind of need that one person that's not going to take the situation seriously and john is kind of that person but he's also taking it a little bit seriously to save his family and to figure out what's going on but seth literally just does not care at all like he is like just he is embracing this new world and and really just absorbing himself into it and it's funny that this that the zombie that his his friend moses here isn't even trying to attack him so like it's 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 funny that like this crazy person you know as crazy as seth is it may or may not be affecting whether or not these zombies see him as a, a, a living person or not. It's just, it's so funny. What do you think? Yeah, I, I love Seth. And the fact that the zombie is just like sitting here holding a hand of cards, just groaning quietly. You just want to know what is going on. Why is this happening? Why is Seth not affected when you've just seen people, your your wife bite your son, your your friend who you call uncle, like murder, trying to murder your, your wife. And then also what you saw in Blackwater. Why is Seth immune to this? It's it just, again, it's it's giving us no answers, basically. It's sending us off on an errand, but then just giving us more questions. This feels like one of those situations where you'll never find out the answer. Like, why Seth seems to be impervious to this. It's just one of those things you have to just accept and move on with, you know? And I love that. Yeah, me too. I love that too. If it was anyone else, I would be a little annoyed. I want to know the reason why. But with Seth, it just, it, it doesn't make sense, so it makes sense. John walks away from the table, back to his horse. He rides all throughout New Austin and the surrounding counties, clearing graveyards like he did in Blackwater. Fighting and saving lives when he can. After purging the undead from a nearby graveyard, John finds himself at Force Mercer to gather supplies. He hears the familiar pitch of Snake Railroad, West Dickens. West shouts from the middle of the fort, his carriage behind him. He stands in front of a small table, a handful of bottles sitting atop it. He picks one up as he shouts. Step right up! Step right up! Do not be shy! Do not be shy! Nature confounds us! That is the truth, sir! That is the truth! Wes Dickens! Patent and toxin! Wes Dickens! Patent and tonic! The only 100% natural, 200% guaranteed cure against the undead stalking this earth! As he speaks, the crowd starts to form and sit in front of West. It not only brings health and fitness to the sick and needy, it repels the undead and saves souls. It's a natural miracle, and it's available now here at the low, low price of only 100 solid gold coins. That sounds expensive, but what price? Eternal damnation. He points at John, who stands beside the crowd. You, sir, you look healthy. Would you like to give it a try? Me, sir? Yes, sir. Would you care to demonstrate the undead defeating possibilities of this patent elixir? No, sir, I would not. What I would like is for you to stop peddling this nonsense right now. A hundred gold coins? Well, what price would you pay for survival? John draws his weapons, named to the Dickens. You tell me, Mr. West Dickens. You tell me. Well, since you put it that way, why don't all you chaps all take one for free now, and if you like it when you like it, you'll know where to find me. You won't find any undead around me. He hands the bottles to various members of the crowd before approaching John. 
Take it. Enjoy it. Thanks a lot, John. These people have lost their families. They've lost everything. West pulls John aside. Well, that's not my fault. I was trying to make an honest living here. No, you're not. Well, okay, but who can help it if demand is high? I? I'm offering people hope, John. That's a precious commodity. The tonic really works. These poor, awful, undead creatures can't stand it. Come here, take a look. Wes waves John to follow him. Up the walls of the fort, John follows. Wes pulls out a spyglass and hands it to John. He finds one of the men who took the potion. John follows the man using spyglass. He takes a drink of the elixir and exits the fort, where he is swarmed by the undead. They quickly knock him over and devour the man. Works like a charm. Well, that wasn't quite what I expected. That stuff is like catnip to those bastards. Well, I need more desert sage and violet snowdrop, and then know I can cure this foul plague. Back to doing your dirty work, am I? Now, don't be like that. Don't you remember the good times? Please. I'm an old man. All right, take this. Maybe you can use it to attract some of them. Okay, I'll see what I can do. Thanks. Sure this will come in real handy in case I want to meet some new and interesting friends. John takes the bottle and exits the fort. The last graveyard is in Armadillo, an old boom town on the frontier. John finds the graveyard and clears it of the undead. He again burns the bodies and any unburied caskets. When finished, he makes his way into town to gather a few more supplies before heading back to Seth. John finds the town overrun by the undead. With some help from the marshal, John can clear the town and fight back the undead. The marshal asks John to see if he can find his missing deputies, Jonah and Eli. Without them, he fears they won't be able to keep the town safe. John, needing supplies anyway, has the local general store to ask for help. John walks to the door and greets the store owner. Storygoers, uh, by the way, this, again, is one of those conversations where we have a person with very terrible views, does some terrible things, but don't worry, it all works out in the end. Okay. Hey, mister. Hey, part. John asks while he approaches the counter. You saw a couple of deputies nearby. Marshall's boys, Jonah and Eli. Are they Jews, mister? They sound like Jews. I don't know. Why? Why? This whole thing is nothing but a Jewish plot. You do know that, don't you? I find that highly unlikely, amigo. Well... I don't like Jews, or colored folk, or natives, now that you mention Well, you're a nice, kind-hearted man to meet in a time of trouble. Kind does not come into it. Why? What are you talking about? Why, I bet you like Catholics. I can't understand them neither. Nor women, Fabians, socialists, homosexuals, Asians, or British. Between them, they've ruined this country. Ruined it. It was a good country once. Now, people are eating each other. It's all the fault of the Jewish, British, Catholic, homosexual elite and their ideals. Well, I won't stand for it. Have you ever met a Jewish person? Thankfully not. Or a British, Catholic, homosexual? <laughs> well, not in my store. Now I get it. I see you acting clever. Well, let me tell you this. The Jews killed Lincoln. That's why there's a triangle on the money. And they run Europe like one of them Arabian harems. Now, they sent this here plague to kill all us decent folk. You, sir, are truly a remarkable fellow. Thank you kindly. I must say, it is a rare pleasure to meet someone with such a grasp of human history. You take care of yourself. I hate to see you get savaged by someone and watch the life force drain from your hate-filled body. John walks away from the counter and starts to make way out the store. Shopkeeper picks up some boxes and follows. Uh, hey, hold on there. Why don't you join me in my fight, sir? It's not too late. I fear it is for me. Then I will fight them alone. All of them. America is the land of the free. And that means free people... And that means free to people like me. Herbert Moon! Absolutely. Herbert looks to John as he walks away. King at John. Herbert doesn't see the group of undead who quickly tear him apart. Moon shouts out, You can't eat me! I'm Herbert Moon! John watches as Moon is devoured, or he shoots and kills the zombies that killed him, and then, again, kills Herbert Moon. John finds the deputies in the stables, helping themselves to each other's flesh. He quickly kills them both, reports back to the marshal. Then, with the graveyards finished, then with the graveyards clear and supplies he needed, John heads back to Old Brackett's place to talk with Seth. I just want to make sure again, Herbert Moon... 
terrible person says terrible things. The reason I think they put it in here is because I think they were trying to reflect that there are people in this world who believe things like this, and it isn't okay, and you get eaten. Yes, uh, that is a great moral <laughs> to take in this, I think. Uh, I'm terrified of this sound bit being... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is your voice, right? Oh, no. Um, but no. <laughs> no, I love I love the dark humor here. I think it's uh, it's great. And it really shows how people, I think normal, sane people feel about individuals who with warped perspectives like this. And we've said it here before on the show that like uh, everyone's perspective is important and interesting and it's good to take in multiple people's perspectives to kind of shape your own. But we, I think we all understand that there are some perspectives that are very dangerous to other people that threaten other people's safety um, and, th- and that are not okay. The best perspectives are those that, you know, of acceptance and understanding so long as no one's getting hurt. So I just want to throw that out there too, because for Herbert Moon, his perspective is not a healthy one, right? It's one where, where he does not value the lives of other people based on their, on their background. So I, I think it's really cool that Rockstar found it like it was a good idea for them to, to put this scene in the game because they probably didn't have to, but I love that they did. It was a great choice. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. That all perspective are useful unless your perspective like actively harms or puts other people in danger. And I think what they're demonstrating here is here is a person who is having these beliefs and then is just instantly. And and I really like too that they made the choice that John, a person also in this time, is just calling him on his nonsense and saying, well, "You're a ridiculous, crazy old man. I'm going to walk away from this now." Which I think was important because there are people that had crazy beliefs during these times. Then there was also people who didn't have these crazy beliefs, and it's important to know that at no time are these beliefs okay. It's sad to think that that this is still a thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes some some of this, I think, I think more people have become more educated and, and understand that that is not a thing. It's much lesser than for people who believe this this very dangerous perspective. But yeah, still, uh, and it's it's still prevalent, unfortunately. But what I do like though is as much as we've talked about how John is stupid, you know, like in some of these situations, John's made some really dumb choices or feels like his lack of like urgency is it just isn't there i do like that john is smart enough to understand that this person is uh, herbert moon's not a good person and that he's very sarcastic to him and just does not help him um, when he could have I, I think that's that was really good john hears the sound of seth celebrating as he rides up the ramshackle chat on the river the sound of an untuned fiddle fills the air john prepares himself for anything after the last encounter with seth but the sight in front of him exceeds expectation one undead playing a fiddle while Seth dances a jig with four others. Seth continues to dance and twirl amongst the corpses as they talk. Sorry to interrupt your party. Hey, John, come join us. We're having a jig. John, have you met Mary Lou? (laughs) What about Francine? (laughs) I did as you asked and cleared the rest of the graveyards. Doesn't seem to have done much good. Good? 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 Is that good? Are you good? (laughs) Stop with your nonsense, you annoying fool. What's going on? The world's turning, John Marston, and the moon with it. Wahoo! Day follows night and hate follows love. Frustrated with the endless nonsense, John draws his weapon. All right, you asked for it, Seth. You either stop dancing and start talking, prepare to join your friend Moses and the rest of these freaks. Are you constipated, John? You look angry. You get constipated when you're angry. (laughs) Yes, you do. I'm warning you, Seth. Seth mocks John and waves a small glass eye in his hand. Ooh, I'm warning you, Seth. I'm warning you. Don't play with the undead, Seth. Don't chase treasure. Don't waste your time searching for treasure and discover only an eyeglass. Oh, glass eye. Well, warn all you want, cowboy. Seth raises the glass eye into the air and drops it down his throat. He fights to swallow, choking briefly on the eye before swallowing it, then finishing with a burp. Well, that's a load off my mind. Why didn't I think of that before? Hey, John. Well, how are you? Would you like a drink? We've got blood and mucus surprise. Come on. John, frustrated, asked in a stern voice, Seth, what is going on? Aztecs. 
or Incans, or it doesn't really matter. It's all the same. Once every 200 years, the land is doomed. That's why we love it. Mexico, Mexico, John. Mary Lou, may I have this honor? You are a sick man. John walks away to leave Seth to continue to dance among the bodies. Another dead end. John heads in search of West Dickens. He finds his carriage at Riley's Charge, an abandoned military trading post. And I just want to say, like we always do, we I cut out some bits that are very, very good, but didn't fit within the main story. I want to tell you the highlights. One of the storylines is John hunting the last of the Sasquatches. <laughs> um, like he chases them through the woods and like he finds the last Sasquatch and it's like this really touching moment where the Sasquatches, where John's like, you eat babies. And he's like, what are you talking about? I eat, I eat berries. <laughs> and like they have this, they have this back and forth. That's like really sad because he's like, my whole family's gone. Just, just do it and just, just end it. And it's, it's like this whole thing, oh, but it's, it's really good and really interesting, but kind of dark and spooky and weird. And then there's another piece where John runs into a filmmaker who wants to who has a dead body tied up in a tent and he asked john to go find some more so he can make one of the first ever moving pictures that features monsters and john's like that that's silly nobody's <laughs> gonna watch that nonsense what are you talking about and then in the end you bring him the corpses and, and then he, he films himself getting eaten and it's a whole really fun thing um and there's a bunch of other like story beats in there that kind of dip into some of that red dead stuff where you meet some old characters that it's all really good and if you haven't played undead nightmare in a long time you do not need the original red dead you can just play undead nightmare go check it out it's very fun the writing is very good and it holds up pretty well but i just wanted to throw that in there yeah this is a different interaction with him west dickens nigel where are you old man you better not have gotten yourself killed under here get out here are you alone? No, about the great massed hordes of the undead with me. Of course I'm alone, West crawls out from under the carriage spawns. It's not the undead I'm worried about, dear boy. I kind of like them. It's normal people I can't stand. <sighs> what happened? Don't be like that. I haven't done anything or stolen anything or even lied that much. Then what? A bunch of people just chased me out of town. They blamed me for everything that happened. I tell you, John Marston, I, I've been selling help tonics for years. From here to Timbuktu, and never once has there been a demonic bloodlust or undead rising. It's preposterous. Okay. Now they want to hang me. Me, an honest salesman. Can you believe that? Snake oil merchant who cried wolf. Well, something like that. I'm heading south. I'm heading down to Mexico. I hear things are much better down there, not to mention the climate and the nice locals, but also the merciful lack of cannibalistic morons with infectious eye diseases. If you're interested, I should be at Solomon's Foley in a few days, trying to figure out a way to get in. I hear the border is not as open as it used to be. Ta-ta. West Dickens gets up on top of his wagon, pulls the rein. The snake oil salesman rides into the distance, heading south, leaving John behind. John continues his search for answers all over New Austin, kills countless hordes of undead as he tries to find his way to save his family, and the origins of the strange curse. After days of searching, the only lead being the rumors of something in Mexico, he heads south to meet up with West Dickens to make it into Mexico. Eric, we're at the last third. Ooh. How are you feeling about the overall story so far? I feel good about Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm really enjoying the story a lot. I'm, I'm always a little sad when it's not Seth that I'm, that I'm <laughs> yeah. reading now. I like Seth a lot. I like Seth a lot. He's so much fun. And Wes Dickens, I like Wes Dickens. He, I can take him or leave him kind of guy, but he's, he's, he's pretty good too. So far though, I'm liking it. I think it's a great story. It's so funny. I, I just, no one knows what the hell's going on and it's so good. 
It's just everyone's running amok, and and it's just it's so funny that all of a sudden Seth knows. Like every two hundred years, this comes <laughs> out of nowhere. It's like what? Like you don't know if it's telling the truth or not, or what's going on. He's dancing with corpses, and he's okay. It's just so good. I don't know, but anyway, what do you think, Ryan? I, I I love it. I mean, it's a little. It's pretty campy. It isn't like super complex. It's just John running around talking to a bunch of insane people, trying to figure out <laughs> what is going on, and no one has any like reliable information. Yeah. Whether no matter who he talks to and who he interacts with, in his only lead is okay. I guess I've looked everywhere else. I might as well go see if something's going on in Mexico. But yeah, it's it's not super complex. There's not like a ton of depth to it. There's not a ton of like intrigue or tension. It's pretty lighthearted and fun, which I think really captures that like campy seventies horror movie really well. Yeah, it does. It does do a good, especially with the the when you were talking about the director and, and making a horror film. I, we don't even need to cover that. This the the amount that you said it was like that's so funny that they put that in the game. It's just so good. Seth and Wes Dickens and the characters carry this narrative. They like drive mm-hmm. this forward in a way that like it, it would be just you wouldn't even talk about it if it wasn't for like characters like Seth. Um, who are like just driving the sword or pushing John in a direction in just the most crazy buckwild way that's so enjoyable. Yeah, definitely, definitely. If it wasn't for them, John would just be riding around aimlessly looking for any kind of clues and not finding them. <laughs> <laughs> Which, unfortunately, it still sounds like is the situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John finds Wes Dickens in the ruins of Solomon's Folly, warming himself in an open fireplace. Wes explains that the border is indeed closed. He may not be able to make it in, but someone younger might be able to sneak in with the proper uniform. Wes tells John that the army is sending a train to Mexico, and that's the only way he's sneaking in. He tells John of a group of deserters who fled the army. Perhaps they would part with their uniforms. John follows Wes's directions and heads to meet the deserters. He quickly finds a deserter's camp overrun with the undead. He draws his revolver, fires six shots in quick succession, and six undead bodies fall. He holsters his pistol, draws his carambine, bullets fly out of the gun as he continues to send the undead back to the grave. When the undead are gone, the recruits happily give John a uniform as thanks. He makes his way back to the station in full army uniform. John arrives at the train station. The army recruits are fighting back hordes, trying to assault the train. The captain shouts, I said, hold the perimeter. Get the backup. Get the backup. Come on at the back. Conserve your ammo. John joins the skirmish, helping the army fight the hordes. After the dead bodies stop moving, the captain approaches John to congratulate him. You did real good, soldier. Uh, basic training was very thorough. Well, that's good. These degenerates are only good at whoring and drinking. Let's roll out. The captain extends his hand and helps John aboard the train. While the soldiers inside, the engineer shovels coal and the train lurches forward on the tracks. The captain yells out to the men as the train picks up speed. Keep your eyes skinned to any more of these nightmarish fiends. John shouts over the side of the train. Is this headed for Mexico? God willing. What's the army going there for? Officially, to help our Latin brethren in their time of need. Unofficially, to get the hell out of here before things get any worse. See what we can steal down there. Always one step ahead, ain't we? The train rides towards its destination. During the trip, the train is attacked a few more times, but the speed of the train and the amount of guns on board make thick work of any attacking undead. In the distance, a pile of debris blocks the track. The captain yells out, Roadblock! The train comes to a screeching halt as the soldiers exit the train. Clear the roadblock. Alright, every one of you clowns get down and get the debris off the track. Let's go, let's go! Come on, soldier! Move, move! The soldiers make their way towards the overturned cart and debris blocking the track. All right, make Uncle Sam proud, soldiers. Come on, clear the tracks quickly. Let's go. A handful of undead emerge from the brush and slowly start to shamble in the direction of the working soldiers. Come on, we ain't got all day. Quick, quick, quick. The figures move closer and closer. Captain and soldiers, seemingly unaware of the large group of undead headed in their direction, now surrounds them. They block the route back to the train. The captain turns. Horror washes over his face as he shouts, 
fight, fight, fight. Several soldiers start to flee at the sight of the large horde. Get back here and fight. What are you? Yellow, look out. There's more of them. John stands and fights. A few remaining soldiers, including the captain, flee. The skirmish is quick, and John emerges unscathed. John kills the newly undead soldiers and boards the train. Unconcerned about damaging the train, John releases the brake, and the train crashes to the roadblock. The train is greeted by another roadblock, this one larger. John braces for impact as the train crashes into the barricade, breaking the train, sending him to the ground. The damaged train slowly lurches, then stops. John steps off the smoking train, back in Mexico, hoping he can find the answers he needs to save his family. He hops off the train. He heads into Nuevo Paris and the nearby town of Las Hermanas, looking for answers. John, still in his army uniform, approaches the town. He sees a struggle between the undead and the woman of the cloth. He rushes over to help. Before he gets there, the nun pushes the creature off, grabs a nearby weapon. She hesitates as the undead moves towards her. She fires, and the body falls to the ground. John approaches the nun, still holding the gun. You okay, sister? Well, I'm alive, senor. Although, come to think of it, I just committed a moral sin. Claim self-defense. It always works for me. I fear my judges may be a little more stringent than yours, but I appreciate the advice. Unfortunately, many of my nuns are not so resourceful as you or I. Their innocence will kill them, which is truly a terrifying reality. I would not know. I think maybe you would, but let's leave the psychotherapy and focus on more pressing matters. They are locked in the church, while the hordes of these half-weird demons are trying to get to them. It would be my pleasure. You're a true Samaritan, sir. You know, they say the devil has all the best tunes. It may be so, but it seems he also has the most half-witted friend. I'll do as best I can to save the nuns. John rushes to the nearby church, the place overrun with the undead, who pound on the wooden doors of the chapel. The screams of the nun mix with the groans and snarls of the undead creatures, creating a choir of horror. John rushes around the chapel. Undead nuns and priests charge John, but he responds with violence and clears the area of the undead. When finished, he returns to the nun from before to ask some questions and find some answers. Sister, I've done as you asked. Oh, bless you. It's not sister. It's Mother Superior. Mother Superior Calderon. Our bishop is a stickler for regulations. Until he got sick last week, and ain't half the cathedral choir boys. What do you think's causing all this? Mother Superior, gun over her shoulder, responds. Mexico is an old country. Many faiths have lived and died here. Many evil spirits have flourished. I have no idea what is affecting the people here, but I know it's a sickness of the soul, something supernatural. Every day, and the dead rise in Sepulcro. Then perhaps it's time to put him to rest. John exits the church, mounts his horse, and rides to the graveyard. As the night falls as he arrives, a large full moon illuminates the empty graveyard. As he burns the first coffin, the earth erupts with the undead. They try to swarm him, but John fights back, prayers round after round for the creatures, as more and more rise. And all the undead finally lay still. John, low on ammo and exhausted from the seemingly endless hordes of undead that exist, slowly mounts his horse, leaves the graveyard, and rides back to see Mother Superior. So, at this point, Eric, we've met all the bid players. What are your thoughts on Seth, Wes, Mother Superior, all of them? Who are your favorites? Who's your, who, you, who, you, who do you think are most important to the story and driving the story? So, I think Mother Superior is probably the least important. She didn't seem very... I mean, I think she like, pointed him in the right direction he needs to go. Which, I mean, I guess all these characters do. But she's not very, like, fun. Wes is also the same. I think probably Seth is my favorite by far. Like, leaps and bounds. Seth is just the most fun to, to listen to and... And just picture in your mind this crazy man doing all these crazy things. So he's probably my favorite. And then the other two are, are fine. Like I, I think they're important to the story, but they're not like amazing characters. They're not fleshed out characters. Um, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think I agree with that. Uh, Seth is certainly feels like the most fully realized and, and crazy character. Wes is interesting because he's like this snake oil salesman who's just kind of trying to take advantage of everybody and do his own thing. Um, I did cut out a little bit with Wes where he like sends you on a bunch of random 
like missions where you have to just gather plants and it gives you like a bomb and you gather parts and it gives you a blunderbuss which are interesting but like ultimately again they like for the game they're important for the main story they're just not really at all so i think you hit it right on the head seth is i think the most interesting i think when he gives you a direction it's the most interesting mother superior is interesting because she she seems to know more she seems to have an idea of something else is going on in the same way seth did but she seems to be less crazy and again, I also cut out a part where, like, she asks you to go bring a body for her, a zombie for her, so she can pour holy water on it and then give you a bottle of holy water. So there's a little more interaction there where she has some more characterization, but ultimately it didn't add to the story enough for me to leave it in um, where, where we're at. Uh, but if storygoers would think that that maybe wasn't the right choice, please let us know. I'm going to hear from you. What was your favorite part of Mother Superior if you thought we still have it in and whatnot? What was your favorite voice? Was it Why Seth? was it Seth? Thank you. <laughs> what do you mean it's not Seth? You're Why crazy. was it Seth? You're horrible. I don't like you. John enters the candlelit church and is greeted by Mother Superior. As he enters, he passes Wolf. Her face was familiar. Didn't he see her in Blackwater? An armadillo? When he first arrived in town? Ah, que bueno, Senor Marston. How wonderful to see you alive. I think I've cleared Sepulco. You're a brave servant of the righteousness. I've been called many things in my time. Never that. Who's that girl? John says, pointing to the familiar-looking woman. She said she was in a holy order in Escalera. I'm sure I keep seeing her. There's someone like her. Maybe, but it is a common look. Seemed like a nice girl. Mother Superior sits down in a pew, and John sits behind her as they talk. She continues. She told me something interesting. She blamed this terrible curse on our soon-to-be president, Abraham Reyes. Perhaps you've heard of him? Heard of him? I know him well. I hope that vain, ambitious, and repugnant parasite is no friend to yours. Not exactly. I didn't think he was that bad. Of course. What has he done? And who am I to judge? Forgive me. I have just heard many unpleasant stories. I met too many pregnant and abandoned girls. She claimed he had angered an ancient goddess, disturbed a crypt and a temple in her honor. I mean, as I say, it sounds like heresy, like the idiotic delusions of a cursed people. But in the land such as this, I have learned to be less dogmatic then maybe I have been instructed. I am sure it is just forward. Maybe it's time I go pay El Presidente a visit anyway. John stands from the pew, looks at the golden cross and yells, I shall pray for you. Someone certainly needs to. Goodbye, Mother Spirit. Vaya con Dios, hijo mío. John makes his way out of the church, leaving the Mother Spirit behind. He bows at the altar to pray. John finds his horse outside and mount. He rides to Escalera, the largest settlement in the region. The long ride gives him time to reflect and think of his wife and son still tied up back in their home. When he finally arrives, he hitches his horse and heads into the home of the El Presidente, Abraham Reyes. On the steps, he, he finds a weeping old woman. John does his best to speak Spanish to him. The se- Senora, don- donde? Donde esta Abraham Reyes? She continues to weep, but points to the top of the stairs. As John makes his way up to the large villa, he hears a woman scream and a familiar groan of the undead. He pushes the door open. Reyes! Inside, he finds an undead Reyes chasing him around the table. Stop that now, Abraham, he shouts, drawing his revolver. Come on, stop that. Reyes moves towards John, who aims and fires. Reyes, again dead body, hits the ground. Blood pools on the intricate stone floor. Reyes dead, he approaches the woman. He'd always have a way with the ladies. It's okay, he's dead. Flash of recognition in John's eyes. She starts to explain that because of Reyes, we were all doomed. Because of him, John's still puzzled by the familiar woman asks. Haven't I seen you before? She quickly replies. No, he, he caused this with his greed. And lust for power. He heard an ancient myth and tested it. It caused all of these terrible things. His vanity overwhelmed us all. What the hell are you talking about? Where have I seen you? The woman turns away as he speaks. I me. I have a common enough face. I'm from here. She sits down at Reyes' large table. He disturbed the royal burial ground that lies 
underneath the town. He heard there was a mask hidden that would make him invincible. Cat sighs and whispers. I've heard this blamed on Mexicans, Jewish people, freed slaves, the federal government, immigrants, the bad weather. Now this? What's wrong with people? Roman stands and points to the closed chest sitting on the table. It's true. Look in that chest. He has a sacred mask. That is where the plague came from. Him and his awful lust for power. John slides the chest closed, carefully opens it. Inside the foreboding face, made of jade, rests in red velvet. John carefully picks up the mask to examine it. He quietly asks, where did you say the crypt was? She tells him, behind the villa, the bullfighting arena. Well, I guess it's worth a shot. John picks up the mask, makes his way to the crypt. The woman falls behind. John makes his way to the arena, where he finds a massive hole, an ancient stone wall and doorway beyond the destroyed wall. John makes his way into the crypt, as hordes of the undead charge at John, but seemingly ignore the mysterious woman. John kills the ravenous undead wonders about the ancient crypt. Carvings and stonework line the walls. The woman speaks to John as they make their way to the crypt. You must act now. Look inside yourself. Can a bad man have a good soul? Do not underestimate the power of the mind. Many of these died in a great battle on this very site. John continues to make his way through the crypt. He finds a large chamber, a massive stone face carved in the wall. The woman speaks again. Our enemies are a reflection of ourselves. Some of them worship the moon, and the brave man has to kill everyone. The words echo in John's mind, but he can't place where. More and more undead rise and crawl out of the walls. As they swarm, John fights to send them all back to the grave. When the room is empty of undead, John sighs. The woman beckons him to return the mask. John hesitates. You sure? Yeah. Of course I'm sure. The woman responds. And again, beckons him to return the mask. John steps forward, mask in hand. How do you know? He asks. The woman looks at John and answers. My name is Ayatiotl. Another echo of familiarity. John holds the mask in his hand, the green glow illuminating his face. He carefully places the mask on the altar as the woman steps away. John sighs as he steps away and repeats the name. He turns. The woman is gone. A voice echoes throughout the chair. A horse is waiting for you. You should return home. Eric, we've solved it. We've cracked the case. It was a random mask that this guy had. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it's kind of like a weird, like... Like you, like you said, can't be horror story. Like it's a, it's a weird explanation as to why. Like how the heck did yeah. Seth? Oh, I guess Seth didn't call this. But he kind of did, but he kind of didn't. But yeah, so it's it's interesting how like John was able to kind of stumble into this scenario and figure this whole thing out and and achieve his goal. Like it, it's very silly and it's very like funny. And I think they did a really good job with that. Like obviously this never really happened. So like you know you know it's just it's it's silly and fun. I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I, I think it works okay. It's 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 not the strongest kind of compared to the other stories we've seen where these been these kind of like almost reveals at the end. And and yeah, I will say you see this woman all over the game. When you first were in Blackwater, this woman was with that group of people. This woman was on that roof with those people. So you've seen her all over. So it was kind of there, but it, it wasn't super obvious. And I thought about going back to add it, but it just at no point did I notice it when I was playing the game. Or when I was watching, it wasn't until I got to this point that I realized. Or at least like in Half-Life, I'm noticing this person that's like standing ominously in the distance. With this, it's just another face in this crowd where it just looks like they've used the same asset over and over, which isn't uncommon in this game. So it it didn't jump out at me. So it it solves the problem, but I don't think it's as satisfying as it could be. But again, like it feels a lot like those like 70s like horror movies like the the animal graveyard movie like there it's like just a creepy bear oh, around you know what i mean yeah like it yeah, feels like yeah. those things where it's just like this kind of kind of campy macguffin that was moved or was but needs to go be put back that is just kind of ham shoot in the end that it, it it doesn't land i see what they're trying to do and it's interesting 
I don't think it's as strong as if, like, he runs into Seth down here. I think that would be, like, really yeah. interesting if, like, Seth is, like, this pulling the pulling the strings, like, puppet master. I think that would be really fun, but... He's wanted friends or something, <laughs> so he caused this whole... Yeah, that would have been really to, great, yeah. To get some friends or... You know, that would have been hilarious. That would have been awesome. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think the ending definitely is, is, is pretty weak. Yeah. But, I mean, overall, as, a, as an experience, I think it, it like... I guess it works. You know, you have, to have some, you have to have some kind of reason for why this is happening, I think, because John is looking for that reason. So, like, in a story perspective, I think that it had to it had to be some kind of explanation, and this is probably the best they could have thought of. Yeah. Yeah. It's But it, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. John leaves the crypt to find a horse. The pale white eyes of the horse stare back at John, its coat black in the front, white in the back. The horse is faster than any John has ever encountered. A ghostly trail follows behind. The horse takes John home, never needing to stop to rest, eat, or drink. He arrives home and makes his way inside the bedroom. Abigail laying on the bed, blood still her neck. John, there you are. Hell, whenever trouble starts, I can pretty much guarantee you'll ride off into the sunset. You feeling better? Yeah, once that boy stopped trying to bite me, everything felt much better. I'm starving, though. John cuts Abigail loose. She rubs her neck and stands. Jack? Me? I only felt better once that mad look in your eye left. Please, Dad, don't leave me here alone with that woman again. <laughs> I'll try not to, son. John cuts Jack. I heard that before. John grabs Abigail and hugs her. Well, let me fix us something to eat. Please don't. We've had enough of dramatics for one day. John holds her tight, pulls Jack in his mouth. Stanley is safe, but the curse is lifted. A few months later, a stringy strange man with a dirty white hat, missing teeth, enters the crypt. His familiar cackle echoes throughout the chamber. <laughs> and his dirt and blood-covered hands reach out to grab the glowing mask. He laughs as he runs out of the crypt, mask in hand. A dark and stormy night like the one we found ourselves at the start of the tale. Back hit Preacher's Hope. A simple wooden cross, a circle of stones marked the grave. The grave of John Marston. An undead hand bursts through the soil, gun still on his back. The undead Marston crawls from the grave. That's it. Nice. It's the end. Well, so, Ryan, what did you think of the, of the story of Red Dead Undead Nightmare? Overall, I think it's got really great characters. It, it captures that like 70s campy horror vibe really, really well. It, like, and part of capturing that vibe is having kind of a weak ending, but this like really interesting twist, kind of twist at the end, where like Seth steals the mask and brings John back from <laughs> the dead, which I think is really fun. And also like yeah. serves the gameplay piece where you get to run around as dead John. Overall, I really liked it. I think the strongest pieces are the characters. And I think that's what shined, especially when they have such great voices. Oh, <laughs> thanks. Right back at you, good sir. And I wonder if that's on purpose. I feel like every horror story, like every like 70s horror movie had like a really bad ending. You know what I mean? Like not maybe not every single one. I, I'm really bad with horror films. So I couldn't even name one from the 70s, if I'm quite honest. But I feel like that's like the... That's like the trope. Like it always has like a weird ending that is never as satisfying as you want it to be. But I think overall it was a really fun story. And again, the characters make it shine. Like Seth is just so funny. But yeah, and I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's like somewhat of a happy ending. I'm glad that John gets his family back. I, I would have expected his family to stay as zombies. So it's cool that they come back and everyone's just all happy, do honky-dory and, and happy again. And I'm curious if anyone else like who had died is now living again. <laughs> yeah what are the implications of the fact that all of these zombies could have been brought back from the dead but instead we just like killed masses of them not john's family ryan that's the important people we gotta keep. yeah no they are alive and safe but overall good horror story i think this is a perfect horror story uh for our third episode of our, our spooky month uh, the the comedy was great. The horror was fantastic. It was just so good. Yeah, it, it feels like a, a spooky story you tell around a campfire. That's kind of ridiculous and silly. And story goers, please let us know what you think 
of Red Dead Undead Nightmare, email us at talesfromthecartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. And also you can DM us on Twitter or Instagram. Let us know what you think. We will be happy to read your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives on the podcast. For next week is my turn. And I have been struggling really hard on what to on what to do. Nothing was jumping out to me except for one thing. But I didn't know if I wanted to do it or not. I thought it was too soon because Ryan and I had talked about this before, before we even started recording, that we don't want to really like double dip into games a lot. You know, it's, it's kind of hard that way. But I just felt like it's the last game of our spooky month. You kind of have to go out on a bang. And, like, literally this is, like, one of the scariest games that I've ever, I've ever seen, I feel like, for me, uh, from a story perspective. So, and, again, we're not going to double dip a lot. So, anyway, without further ado, our last game for our spooky month is going to be Outlast Whistleblower. It's the DLC to Outlast. And it's yes! just, it's so good it is terrifying it is so scary i i would argue it's scarier than the the base game the, oh wow yeah i really would because of the things that happen it's really disturbing <laughs> so um what better way to end the month <laughs> yeah i told my mom not to listen to outlast i'm pretty sure she's going to anyway so we're here we go again mom we have to listen to some horrible things read by your son so <laughs> Love you. But yeah, so it's Outlast Whistleblower. So if you have played it or if you've watched it, like like probably us, because <laughs> yeah. I'm not playing it, um, <laughs> you may email us. Let us know what you think before the episode comes out. We will read those perspectives on the podcast. But if not, if you're if you're late, email us anyway. Eventually, we will read your, your, your thoughts and feelings. But if you find it in your, your beautiful sweethearts to want to rate us five stars wherever available. Give us uh, follows on mm-hmm. Podbean. Yeah, Podbean, Spotify, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the ones. You find our links on all the social medias. You know how it goes. Now, we're those people, Ryan. We had the, we had the big for <laughs> five stars. I always criticize yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Ring that bell. Smash that like button. <laughs> Smash it hard. <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, but as always, Star Gores, we hope you're happy, safe, and well, and we will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.